You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now a word from our sponsor, Netscope. Netscope is a worldwide leader in SASE and Zero Trust. Its unified platform, Netscope One, provides optimized access and zero trust security for people, devices, and data anywhere they go, helping customers reduce risk, accelerate performance, and get unrivaled visibility into any cloud, web, and private application activity. To learn more about how Netscope helps customers be ready for anything on their sassy journey, visit netskope.com. Hybrid warfare with disinformation, cyber espionage, and spyware infestations, bug drop in Ukraine, and some cut-and-paste oddness slips from Fancy Bear's paws. A new X-Agent variant is out. This one infects Max. Ransomware thumbs its nose at security products. A look at RSA trends as the conference closes. A conversation with San Diego's CISO. And a t-shirt that we really want to get. I'm Dave Bittner, back in Baltimore with your CyberWire summary for Friday, February 17th, 2017. Hybrid conflict with all of its ambiguities and attendant fog continues in Eastern Europe. Deutsche Welle reports a Russian disinformation campaign in the Baltic, with phony news stories planted alleging that German soldiers on NATO deployments have been responsible for a wave of assaults in Lithuania. Both German and Lithuanian officials say none of the claimed assaults happened, but the disinformation, while surely crude, will no doubt leave its residue behind in segments of public opinion, which, of course, is the point. Researchers at security firm CyberX have taken a look at a cyber campaign in Ukraine, possibly criminal, possibly state-directed, possibly a mix of the two, that's been responsible for a widespread spyware infestation in Ukrainian businesses. More than 70 enterprises are said to have been affected by what CyberX is calling bug drop. Synac researchers have been taking a look at tools that appear to have recently slipped from Fancy Bear's paws, and they conclude that those tools look a great deal like lawful intercept products from Hacking Team. Fancy Bear is generally believed to be Russia's military intelligence establishment, GRU, if you're keeping score at home. Synac sees a weirdness in the code that suggests a copy-and-paste job. Bitdefender believes it's found evidence that there's now a variant of Fancy Bear's X-Agent malware that targets macOS. X-Agent is modular malware used in targeted cyber espionage. It's modular in that once installed, it reports back to its commanders and controllers for instructions. Those instructions could involve directions to search for various files. They could direct X-Agent to download and execute other malware packages. Senior U.S. officials, including the Vice President and the Secretaries of State and Defense, are making the diplomatic rounds in Europe, and cyber matters have inevitably arisen during their discussions. Secretary of Defense Mattis said, There's very little doubt that Russia has interfered with elections. One might add, in fairness, that historically it's not been just Russia. Panda Labs reports a new criminal hack, RDP Patcher, which simply sells third-party access to a victim computer. What they do with that access is presumably up to them. G-Data, the German security firm, has identified a new strain of ransomware they're calling Hermes, after the god of medicine, messaging, and theft. And there's good news already. 
The Austrian security company Emsisoft has already decrypted it. So bravo G-Data and bravissimo Emsisoft. RSA 2017 wrapped up today in that city by the other bay, and our stringers and editors have some thoughts on the conference's recurring themes. First, AI, artificial intelligence, has been to this year's conference as big data and threat intelligence have been to the last couple of RSA seances. These have all been dismissed as buzzwords, which isn't exactly fair since there's a serious reality behind all of them, but caveat auditor, an awful lot of people will say AI in your presence. It's worth listening to them with respectful, open-minded skepticism. We're working on a special edition of our podcast covering artificial intelligence, so stay tuned for that in the coming days. Second, in the West at least, the crypto wars appear to have been won by the pro-encryption side, and this is seen by many as essentially a technology-driven trend even the most obsessively repressive governments will find difficult to resist. Third, industry is worried about the growing tempo of international conflict in cyberspace and is urging governments to take seriously their operations in this new domain. If there are restraints on kinetic warfare, albeit imperfect restraints, that are designed to contain it, limit its effects on non-combatants, and seek to induce combatants to fight in ways that don't make the restoration of peace impossible, shouldn't there be similar restraints placed on cyber conflict? The time for this would appear to have come. Cyber warfare is no longer in its infancy, but it hasn't yet left its adolescence, and this may be the last best opportunity to influence its development. Fourth and last, there's a general sense in the air that consolidation in some form lies in the security industry's near future. Our own experience of the conference differs a bit from that reported by Software Development Times, which notes that the conference has gone smaller and focused on enduring issues. Both may well be true objectively, but subjectively we felt a nervous urgency and heard much more barking in the carny roustabout sense of the word than we remember from past conferences. We'll give the last word on the atmosphere to the words on a t-shirt worn by an executive we interviewed. The shirt said, Does not have purchase authority. Many of those walking through the exhibits this year might have wished they'd worn similarly legible apparel. And finally, we'll leave RSA and return to ransomware. Late last month, Trend Micro began tracking a new variant of the familiar Serbear ransomware. It's an odd duck. It encrypts the files on a victim's machine, except for one interesting class of software, security products. These it has whitelisted, and it leaves them studiously alone for reasons that are quite unclear. Bleeping Computer has some speculation about the criminal coder's motives that seem as good as any. They're going out of their way to thumb their nose at the security vendors. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. 
So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by Rick Howard. He's the CSO at Palo Alto Networks, and he also heads up their Unit 42 Threat Intel team. Uh, Rick, we've spoken before about the Cyber Canon, uh, your list of uh, must-read books when it comes to cybersecurity. Uh, but you've got some updates for us. Uh, bring us up to date. So think of the Canon as a project as a rock and roll hall of fame for cybersecurity books. We have 10 outside practitioners, you know, CISOs, journalists, lawyers, those kinds of folks who review the most important cybersecurity books uh, on the shelves and make the case why we all should have read them by now. I say all of this because I want to talk about one of the books that made it onto the candidate list this year. It's called The Phoenix Project. It was written by Gene Kim, Kevin Baer, and George Stafford. Um, it is a novel now about the emerging idea called DevOps. Have you heard of DevOps before? I have. All right, so DevOps is perhaps, I think, uh, the most important innovation that has happened to the IT sector since the invention of the personal computer back in the early 1980s. But it is a relatively new and complex idea. And it emerged out of three converging thoughts sometime in the late 2009. All right, so first one was the agile development method that all your developers are looking at. A talk given by Alan Allspaw and Paul Hammond at the 2009 Velocity Conference, and the talk was called 10 Plus Deploys Per Day. And this third thing, a book called Eric Rice, uh, called uh, The Lean Startup. So DevOps is this idea that there needs to be a much tighter integration between software developers and information technology operations. So let me give you an example. Most organizations today pass IT and security work through internal black boxes. You know, product managers, marketing people, developers, quality assurance folks, system engineers, all the way down the line. DevOps is the recognition that instead of managing each of these black boxes separately, the organization needs to think of IT and security work as one big system of systems and manage it that way, sort of a production line of IT work, with the goal of reducing or eliminating completely any kind of technical debt uh, that grows through that process. So that is a very subtle but disruptive idea. So the authors behind the Phoenix Project, uh, instead of writing a technical IT book on the benefits of this emerging idea, they chose to write a novel to make the material more acceptable to the general populace. But it centers on an online retail store that used to be the number one player, but they've fallen behind because they can't keep up with its competitors. The IT department has projected to fix all that. They have a project for it called Project Phoenix, but it's two years behind schedule. So at the beginning of the book, the CEO has 
fired the CIO and promoted a mid-tier IT manager as the acting CIO and has given him six months to fix the problem. So with the aid of an Obi-Wan Kenobi-like figure from the board of directors, this interim CIO learns the way of DevOps and saves the company. So what I'm telling you is if you're just hearing about DevOps now or want to learn more about it, this book, The Phoenix Project, is a great way to get introduced to the material. So it's kind of that notion of a spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down, right? <laughs> it is. It really is. And, uh, <laughs> it makes it so much easier to learn, too, let me tell you. All right. Well, I'll have to check that one out. The Phoenix Project, part of the cyber canon. Rick Howard, as always, thanks for joining us. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. My guest today is Gary Hayslip. He's the Chief Information Security Officer for the City of San Diego, California. He's also co-author of the book, The CISO Desk Reference Guide, a practical guide for CISOs. Most people, when they hear that you know you're the CISO for a city, they just assume um, you know cities are yeah hey you got a network you got to manage and and I'm like no I don't have one network I have 24 networks you know I've got you know 11,000 employees I've got um, somewhere in the neighborhood of about close to 45 to 50,000 you know endpoints they kind of give you an idea my network is not static my network's on the move I mean uh, my network is uh, track trucks with GPS sensors and police cars, you know, connected to our wireless systems and HVAC systems and, you know, golf courses and libraries and desktops and, you know, public works employees out in the field with tablets. It's a very dynamic, very malleable collection of enterprise networks. And so how do you approach a system that large with that, with that much variety? Well, I mean, one of the things I've you know, kind of realized right away is the the fact that we'll never really totally know, you know, everything that is on my network. And what I mean by that is that, you know, I mean, I used to believe, you know, years ago when I was in DOD and maybe it was because I was in a more controlled environment that, you know, you'd be able to control uh, your perimeters and you would know everything that was connected to your networks and, you know, everyone's going to follow the rules. <laughs> and, you know, what you kind of learn when I, once I got out of that environment and actually got out here in the real world is that, you know, networks tend to be chaotic. You know, controlling your perimeter is only as good as, you know, your users actually following the rules, which, you know, a lot of them will follow it until it, you know, interferes with them being able to do business, you know, to be able to do work, and then they're going to figure out workarounds. You know, you've got to deal with the fact that, um, you know, your perimeters aren't solid, that your perimeters are on people's cell phones and tablets and, you know, laptops and and I mean, I've come to the conclusion that, you know, for me, cybersecurity is a life cycle. It's a continuous process of monitoring and scanning and remediation and breaches. I mean, you're going to take them. Having a completely secured network that never gets breached is fantasy. You know, it's not going to happen. 
when you use networks, when you use technology, it gets dirty, you know, because the internet is not a, a clean place. And the way I work with it is that I use a framework like NIST to be able to take what I have, break it down, and help me understand where my risk is, you know, and help me prioritize, you know, what needs to be fixed now and what we can fix when I have the personnel or the resources or the funding. And I spend a lot of my time in my departments, you know, talking with, you know, it's one of the biggest things I have learned after I left DOD is that I cannot dictate and tell people cybersecurity, you have to do this, you know, you're going to put us at risk. You know, I got to make people want to work with me. I've got to advocate and be a cheerleader and get people to want to go ahead and follow cybersecurity and get them to understand that it's, you know, actually in the best interest of the business, you know, and that if you, if we're secure, we can even be more innovative and be more successful and more effective, but to get them to that stage, I've got to make the case. I've got to make the case as to why, from a business perspective, why we should be doing cybersecurity. What are some of the unique challenges you face, you know, being in, in a government situation versus someone in the private sector? You know, some of the things that, you know, we deal with here, some of the decisions we're making on technology and stuff have some you know, life and death consequences when you think about, you know, water, when you think about the 911 system. I think, you know, some of the things that make it really hard for us is the fact that we're a 24-7 business. You know, the city of San Diego is a $4 billion business. You know, we're running, you know, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So how do you do change? If I've got to rip out a, a network and put in, you know, some new fiber or, or put in a new routers and switches and stuff, you know, backbone-wise to handle, you know, HD video, well, I can't shut the network down. And so a lot of times this will make our projects actually go twice as long because, you know, the complexity involved. Sometimes we have to do things in parallel. And then once we have it built up, then plan to switch over. You know, with as with the least amount of interruption to services as possible. You know, because a lot of the services that we provide are to my neighbors, and they have no problem coming over and yelling at me about stuff. <laughs> you know, so you know whether it's buying permits because you want to open up a new business, or whether it's you know you want to pay your water bill or pay a parking ticket. That's some of the things that I've noticed right away. Is that in this in this position is that some of the decisions we make have an immediate impact. You know, and not only that, they have an immediate impact on a wide range of people, on organizations. And then, like I said, you know, we have a lot of our challenges in the fact that you're dealing with, um, you know, technology that is 20-some years old to new technologies like cloud and virtualized networks. You know, you're connecting these disparate technologies together. And so there is unknown risk. You're constantly trying to, you know, update a lot of your older technologies and replace them. And but at the same time, you have to maintain them until you can get them replaced. Yeah. You know, and so it's a, uh, it is a, uh, it's a very interesting environment from a risk perspective. That's Gary Hayslip, the Chief Information Security Officer for the City of San Diego, California. He's co-author of the book The CISO Desk Reference Guide, a practical guide for CISOs. And that's the Cyberwire. We are proudly produced in Maryland by our talented team of editors and producers. I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening.
Hey, listeners. We're always looking for ways to improve the N2K CyberWire network and maintain the intelligence-driven news experience that keeps you in the know on the latest developments in cybersecurity. We've launched our 2024 audience survey and would love for you to take a few minutes to share your feedback. And hey, there's even a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card if you complete the survey. Visit cyberwire.com survey. That's cyberwire.com survey and share your feedback now. And now a word from our sponsor, SpyCloud, the leader in operationalizing cybercrime analytics. Traditional threat intelligence is a thing of the past. Cyber criminals are stealing vast amounts of credentials, session cookies, and financial data every day, and it's hard to keep up. SpyCloud is the trusted partner businesses turn to to fully understand their darknet exposure risk and neutralize threats before it's too late. SpyCloud alerts your organization as soon as an employee or customer's data appears on the dark net, so you can act faster than bad actors to prevent cyber attacks like ransomware, session hijacking, account takeover, and online fraud. With insights from the industry's largest repository of recaptured data, protect the digital identities and systems most important to your business. Get your free corporate darknet exposure report at spycloud.com slash cyberwire and see what information criminals have in their hands today. That's spycloud.com slash cyberwire. (laughs) 